famous Korean producer known as Primary, who composed this track. It's part of his album Primary and the Messengers, and it features Zion T and Gecko from Dynamic Duo performing this track because Primary himself actually doesn't perform it. He just produced it. And it's called See-Through, something a little funky. And we're going to end off with that. And, of course, if you, have your requ- if you have any requests for me, you can send it to me at AsianWave101 at gmail.com. If you have any thoughts on today's news and stories, you can send those to me as well. Let's get a discussion going. I want to hear from you. So coming up next is our weekly arts report. Rohit's coming in here. Got a couple guests with them. They're going to talk about some stuff. That's going to be it for this week, everybody. Thank you all for joining me today. This has been Asian Wave 101. I'm Steve. Thank you again. Take care, everybody. Primary and the Messengers, Zion T, Dynamic Duo, Gecko, here to play us out. we guarantee that you will be able to make a balloon poodle within the first day. Here at the UBC Ant Club, we just like to talk about ants and compare ant farms. Uh, It's really cool. Paperclip Club is all about, well, paperclips mostly. At Blah Club, you can blah blah, blah 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 blah. Explosion. 
There's only one club worth joining at UBC, and that's CITR 101.9 FM. We got free tickets to shows, whirly pops, professional help in all types of audio engineering, passes to festivals, crazy parties, live band swag. All types of crazy people. Our programming manager rides a motorcycle. There's freestyle rapping, Nardwar, the human serviette, the vinyl and record libraries, Discord or magazine, free studio recording, and it sure beats the hell out of Paperclip Club, which is a thing that I just made up because I work at CITR. So come check us out on the top floor of the Student Union Building. We got all types of crazy shit for you to do. Or check us out online at www.citr.ca. Hello, it is Wednesday, January the 7th, and you are tuned in to The Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver. I'm Rohit Joseph, a co-host of The Arts Report. And this is Ashley Park, also a uh, co-host. But today I'll just be quietly sitting in, letting these guys handle everything. <laughs> and my name is Jake, and I am the third co-host of The Arts Report. And we are here every Wednesday from 5 to 6. With our powers combined. <laughs> but yes, we're, we're going to be the new power trio of Arts Report, basically. <laughs> Definitely. And we've got a good show today. We've got a couple of interviews lined up. Uh, can you tell us about what you've got? Uh, I interviewed a Vancouver rapper and breakdancer uh, named Rupert Common. Uh, he's very involved in the hip-hop community, and uh, he hosts lots of events that kind of uh, build that community up. So I thought it would be worth uh, having a sit-down with him, and indeed he was more than willing to talk. He had a great, uh, a great sense of genuine uh, enthusiasm for hip-hop, and he had a lot of stories to share, so... Uh, we got that lined up uh, for my interview. We've also got uh, a feature interview with Duncan Fraser. He's directing a play at the Cult right now. It's um, it's called All That Fall, and we'll be hearing more about that. And we've got uh, ticket giveaways and just a little bit of some arts events in the city. Yeah, but first things first, uh, right here on UBC campus, we always got cool things going on. And with me here, uh, right in the spot, live and direct, is Jenna Earnshaw from AMS Events. Say hi, Jenna. Hey, everyone. Thanks for having me on here today, guys. So what's cooking in this uh, month of Jen, Jan? Come... <laughs> oh, you just had to do that. Yeah. Well, yeah, what's, uh, what's happening uh, in terms of AMS Events um, for all these weary-eyed students coming back from uh, uh, probably a rambunctious holiday? What do you got? <laughs> Very big word. Um, we actually have a lot uh, going on this week. So this is our first ever Frost Fest, which we're super excited about. It's kind of like first week, but again. Um, a lot of schools in Canada do it, so we were kind of like, yeah, let's jump on this bandwagon. This seems to be working. <laughs> um, so we've already had a couple of events, like comedy night and a trivia night and some free coffee and uh, another few small events. But we have lots more coming up this week. So tomorrow we have a wine tasting event in the gallery. So if anyone's feeling really classy or maybe they got <laughs> too trashy over New Year's and they want to <laughs> redeem themselves, this is the night to do it, hopefully, um, as long as they don't drink too much. But yeah, we're having a really nice wine night tomorrow night in the art gallery. And not many people really visit it much. So it would be really nice to have an event in there because we haven't tried that before. Um, so I'm really excited about that. But our main event is happening on Friday. And what's that? Uh, I believe a very special guest is coming. Yeah, you know I'm kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, we have, we have July Talk coming um, yes. to the pit, which is really exciting. They're a great band. Um, also playing with Dear Rouge. So tickets are available right now online. And we're also doing some special ticket giveaways later on tonight, mm -hmm. uh, which you'll find out more about if you visit the CITR page or the calendar page too. Um, so that's really exciting. We're, we're looking forward to that, especially because we haven't had any live music in the pit for a while. So hopefully it will be a really great way of welcoming everyone, with everyone back. All right, Jenna. Uh, anything else? Any closing words before uh, 
get back into the mix of things? Yeah, just a quick promo for the Student Leadership Conference. Um, of course. <laughs> you've got to do a bit of that. Uh, tickets close for that today, so everyone should make sure they buy tickets. There's some really amazing people that are speaking now, and we're actually helping to support that too. So it should be a really great day, but a great day needs a great audience. So hopefully everyone should buy tickets and come and visit that because we're really excited. All right. Thank you, Jenna. Uh, all of those events sound awesome. And stay tuned to uh, CITR's Facebook page. There will be a uh, ticket top giveaway. Secret. A very top <laughs> secret. But uh, you'll you'll see a special giveaway uh, for one of these events. So stay tuned. Thanks uh, for having me. No problem. All right. Here is uh, Rohit's interview with Rupert Common. So my name is Rohit Joseph, uh, reporting for the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. And today I have with me... Rupert Common. What sparked your interest yeah. in hip-hop? Uh, well, hip-hop is very much um, in, in, our, in our pop culture, right? In our mainstream culture. So I was exposed to hip-hop, whether I chose to or not, just by watching television or listening to the radio. And uh, a lot of my friends' music of choice was hip-hop. Um, the first time in probably grade... I think it was grade nine when I actually wrote rap for the first time. But the first time I actually performed rap was grade five when uh, my friend who first showed me the Dangerous Mind soundtrack in that movie with uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and the, the youth she works with in, in an inner city school. And, and then like, you know, they're all troubled youth and then they kind of come together and have a good time. Um, that soundtrack was shown to me by, by my friend who also showed me the Beastie Boys and what we watched music videos of the Beastie Boys which is also the first time I'd seen white people involved in hip-hop. So that was kind of like, oh, okay. Uh, maybe that was a subtle thing in there, too. Saying that I, I could rap, too. Um, anyway, so we had a French project that was... We had to do a song um, based on the theme, of, the theme of ants. Or, like, we had to choose an animal. So we had this song, Nous sommes des fourmis, something, I don't know. It was like, we are ants, we're small and very strong. <laughs> And the funniest thing about that song, so we rapped it like the Beastie Boys style. We didn't. Even, I remember we performed it in front of our class, and afterwards I was like, "This is in French. This is grade five French class." <laughs> yeah. We, said, we rapped "New Song for Me." <laughs> I remember afterwards I was like, "Matt, we should have practiced because we just winged it and it didn't work." Like I remember feeling bad about my performance in grade five, I and mean, like we weren't on cue. And I, and I wish we practiced. <laughs> From an early yeah. age, you were already like trying to perfect the performance. <laughs> uh, totally. Like I didn't. Fully, at least I remember not feeling rewarded by the performance. Mm. And now I know that, like, in order, have a, in order to have a good performance, unless it's just freestyling and you know you're just freestyling and it's for fun, I want to prepare a lot and go up there. And, and anytime I haven't prepared, I usually don't do that well um, and I don't feel that rewarded. But interestingly enough, that song, you know, uh, We Are the Ants, We're Small But Very Strong, I, have, I then incorporated it into a rap lyric of mine where, uh, and I performed it at the Poetry Slam, um, but it's a, it's a song called Cacophony. My friend, Pergoli, who's an MC from Vancouver, told me my, my style was very cacophonous. And I didn't really know what cacophonous meant. But I looked it up, and it's like jarring sounds and, and very, like, obscure or uh, almost juxtaposing sounds. And it's again, maybe just the way that I like to use words, because I came from a very word-based MC style. Um, so anyways, the, the line was like, at the very end of my rap, I was like, ants are very strong, yet we step on them. Warriors pick them back up and trace their tracks back to homogeny, my lifestyle is cacophony. <laughs> so I was talking about like homogeneity and how everyone's the same. And ants are all the same, right? They're all in this like army, but they're so strong. And when they find a dead ant, they're a warrior friend. They pick them up on their backs and they carry them back to their, their life. So. That's deep, man. Yeah. You mentioned Poetry Slam. When did your first interest in slam poetry come about? Or how did that come about? Well, in a sense, I feel like the interest is all the same because it's an interest in, in being creative and performing and being in front of a crowd of people and doing your thing. So it wasn't so much that I was into poetry slams explicitly, although it was more like I had these rap lyrics and that was a, a place I could perform them. It was like, oh, I can't just go to an open mic and, and be by myself and not know anyone and go up and do my rap. What beat am I going to go on? Because I didn't have the beats and everything. I, I just had me and my lyrics. So. I found out there was a poetry slam and I thought, well, maybe I can just do my rap a cappella. At the same time, as I'm saying this, I'm also realizing that during my uni university days, when I was predominantly listening to rap music and getting deeper into underground rap um, and beginning to write more raps myself and really getting into freestyle rap, 
I started watching, uh, you know, YouTube was coming up, and what was it called again? The Def, Def Jam. Def. I think it was De Def Jam Records. Was yeah, Def Jam right? Records. Yeah. So it was just an awesome collaboration mm -hmm. of like hip hop forces, and they had amazing spoken word artists come in. People are then you see these artists who you never see on TV mm -hmm. because you see on TV you see all the famous rappers and the people who you know I'm doing air quotes right now many years <laughs> who make it but in every single city there are artistic communities you know in Vancouver we have our artistic community we have more specifically our poetry sound community you get all these artsy conscious progressive people who are who are creative and they're coming together in their crazy styles and they're speaking poetry and that's Vancouver that's Victoria you know all across Canada all across the states think of how many amazing cities there are in America and think of how many amazing slam poetry communities or rap like there's so many artists out there that are amazing and so now we get to see some of those artists speaking like amazing words and it was it was very inspiring for me to see these these poets just killing it basically for lack of a better expression just just killing it so that did definitely inspire me and I thought I think I secretly thought I'd like to be on Death Poetry Slam one day <laughs> but it's not happening right now but maybe he'll get it back up and well uh, in terms of the community where is this happening in Vancouver Poetry Slam? Yeah. Oh, well, Poetry Slam's most popularly held at the Café du Soleil, which is a pretty big hub for lots of different things. They have an open mic on Monday for poetry. It's been going for, I think, about 10 years. Wow. Uh, longer even, I'm not sure. They are, a, I would say, like, an un, they, they are an institution almost. Like, they are, they've been official, they've become a very official, and I'm not saying it's bad, it's good. They, they just, they kept so consistent, and they keep doing it every Monday. They have uh, like a, uh, what's it called? Basically, a panel of people that get voted in every year, and there's a slam master, and they have the volunteers. Every single Monday, that that place is packed. So um, it's packed. There's a huge lineup. It's a great place to perform, and uh, that's where the poets go on Mondays. The slam poets. There are also poets in Vancouver, obviously, who aren't slam poets. Because in a sense, you know, some poets don't like to perform. They like to just write their poems. And although many of the slam poets might say, "Hey, we're just poets." I feel that, you know, when you're breaking down styles, it's like, hey, I'm just a dancer. What kind of dance do you do, you know? Mm -hmm. Breaking is quite different from ba ballet or, you know, pop and lock popping is much different than uh, than house. These are different yeah. genres of dance, right? So the slam poet often will write their poem with a crowd in mind, whereas a different type of poet may write their poem with a reader in mind. So it gives, it gives rise to different styles. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, now you also managed to teach breakdancing, so it's funny you mentioned that. Right. I figured this would be a Next perfect time to segue. Nice How do you go from being a poet then to getting into dancing? I mean, this is another element of hip hop. Yeah. Uh, did this uh, arrive like in conjunction, or did it happen at a much later period of time? Later period of time. I like the word conjunction. I don't use that word much. <laughs> anyway, um, I basically. I got into dancing um, when I left Canada. I was actually in Montreal, which is a arguably the most, you know, the, the best city for hip hop in Canada. Arguably, people might say Toronto, but there's mm. different. Uh, I've actually been to Toronto, but Montreal has so much culture. And I was at university in the English-speaking University of McGill, and that's where I really developed my rap and my English capabilities, doing my degree and my essay writing, and getting involved in the, the student community there and branching out into the Montreal community. I remember one time, I know this is kind of a segue, but I went to what I thought was a rap freestyle battle. And I went really far out in the city, I'd never been that far out. It goes, I mean, no, far north. And I get to the spot, I was like, is this a rap battle? They're like, no man, this is not a rap battle, this is a dance battle. <laughs> and I was like, oh, really? I was by myself in a new part of town, I was feeling scared, I had no one with me. I mean, scared in the sense that I just felt alone. Mm. And I was like, I don't want to stay around for another hour before this dance battle starts, and I don't dance, and what kind of dance battle is it? I don't, I don't get this. So I just left. Oh, no. <laughs> Had I stayed, maybe I would have started dancing in conjunction right there. With that, but it took me to leave. I finished my degree. Um, I saw some dance shows in Montreal that I were inspiring, and I thought, wow, those dancers were amazing. I remember seeing them on stage dancing and being like... Were these B-boys, B-girls? It was actually a house dancer, I think. House dancer. Looking back. Cool. So, but it was a hip-hop it was a hip -hop dance show. Yeah. And... Uh, basically, in terms of the, the hip hop dance communities, usually what I'm familiar with is you got the hip hop, the break dance, also called breaking. You got the popping. You got lockers. You got house house dance, and there's some other like other styles. But those are the main kind of styles that happen. And so this was a stage performance with, with all these different dance styles. And I remember being super inspired. I didn't know I'd never seen this kept dance before, and it turned out it was house. Just the way they were moving across the floor, 
And um, anyway, so these little seeds get planted, I find. Sometimes you get inspired and you see something so beautiful and you don't end up trying to do it yourself when really it just takes time to process that. So when I got to New Zealand, I went on exchange, I was in a place where I wanted to try lots of new things. I just, it was my last semester. I, I you know, I, I was about uh, to finish my degree. So I, I had seen the movie Rushmore, the Wes Anderson movie. And he tries everything. He does everything in that movie, right? He does so much stuff. It's so funny. So I literally wrote down Rushmore on my calendar. I was like, be Rushmore. <laughs> and I, just, I took up rock climbing, karate, um, and then I, I did rock climbing, karate. This is not going to do that much. There's some other things I did. I just, in the rec center, yeah. Rock climbing, karate, Aikido. Um, and then there was, I saw some kids breaking one day. As I was doing these different things and, and these activities, um, I saw some kids breaking outside my karate class. And, you know, I was, I was enjoying my karate and learning new types of movement, but I was like, something was so cool about what they're doing. And I was just searching. Like, there was something in me always that was like, keep searching, you know? Like, what? Some discontentment almost brought me to do these things. So I was with this dude, and I was like, hey, man, what's the first move? Can you show me the first move? And he's like, oh, six step. I'm like, what's the six step? He goes on the ground, shows me the six step. I did the six step right there. I remember that moment. The first time I ever did the six step. I was 22 years old. 21 or 22 and I never and after that moment it took me a little bit of time until I met some these British guys and they were uh, really good I remember them being very good also I was completely I, I was sensitized and now I'm desensitized in some ways to how good breaking can be because I've seen so many I've seen some great breakers and I keep seeing them so but th- this is the first time I'd seen b-boys right mm-hmm. and they were amazing and they were so nice they're like hey man come train with us so about twice a week I would hang out with these guys and we would train in the dance studio at the school or at some recreation centers in the area in Auckland, New Zealand. And uh, I slowly got into it. And then as I traveled to New Zealand, I still did karate and other stuff. And I never fully launched into breaking, but I was enjoying it. And uh, that, yeah, that was about four, four, four or five years ago. Um, and when I returned to Vancouver three and a half years ago, roughly, um, I said, I basically was like, no more, no more karate, no more Aikido. <laughs> Hip hop's free. I can break by myself. I can use the internet. I can use, you know, resources like people around me. So I decided to just focus on breaking. And at that point, I was not very good. Um, I was new as an adult beginner, and I know what it's like to be an adult beginner, which is what led me to then teach adult beginners. So basically, how I got into break teaching was that I got to a point in my level where I could do the basic top rocks and the basic go downs and some basic footwork. So I could, I, you know, I could, I could get up to a, I could go to your average dance party yeah. and do my thing and people would be like, whoa, what are you, yeah. whoa. <laughs> you you really, start like yeah. the whole dance circle thing yeah. going. And I'm like, look, I'm not that good, but hey, it's, it's not normal to, to train dancing and then to dance at a party. It's not actually the most normal thing, right? How often do you go to a party and someone's break, breaking? Like, it's <laughs> not, not often enough. Not often <laughs> enough, right? Yeah, so that's probably why. So then uh, I realized, hey, I, I had this urge. I was like, I should teach people what I know because that's a way of sharing and I just feel like I want to do it and I, I want to get better too and it's going to help me get better. So I got some studio space for free and I did a bi-donation um, adult class. That was about two and a half years ago uh, and it just grew from there. One guy came to my class and said, hey, you'd be good at teaching kids. I was like, no, I wouldn't. I'm, I'm, not, good. I'm, I'm not good enough. I'm just doing this with friends. This is just for... He's like, no, try it out. So I took my first class at Rex and I taught some basically 12-year-old girls. Um, they, came, they came for a hip-hop class and I was like, hi, I'm going to teach you guys some breaking. And it was cool. Um, it was hard and I was kind of awkward and then I just, it grew. And now I teach four times a week. Wow. Uh, yeah. And, but at the same time, I'm at a point now where I'm actually realizing I love dancing, but I love music more. If I had to compare, I mean, it's actually hard to compare. Dancing, I'm just readjusting how I look at my dance, you know, and I'm going to put it more now into a almost like mar- martial practice because b-boying is very much like a martial art and I'm gonna, I do it in the mornings and I, I cross train and run and it's like a fitness thing as well as an, a creative thing and uh, I love what I learn in dance and I love to dance but uh, in terms of where I want to put my energy in my career and where I think is best suit- most suitable for me is to actually go in a direction more where I'm focusing on my performance as a musician and uh, rather than trying to gain more dance teaching jobs and Stuff like that. Just a matter of adjusting myself now. Fair enough. Yeah. You also do post these community events for just freestyle raps. Is that uh, another aspect of the teaching thing? Or is this working towards some kind of performance goal for you? It's both those things. 
with rap, the rap community, you know, the hip hop community, you know, it's kind of divided a lot of times. You go to a rap show and it's it's all rappers and the dance element's not there. That's something I always noticed. Also getting really into freestyling, I noticed um, I'd go to hip hop shows in Canada and no one was ciphering. Like there was no, it didn't seem like there was enough organic um, in, uh, activity going on. It seemed like go watch person's rap, uh, act kind of tough, leave event, you know, buy alcohol, let's all be tough. That's kind of the vibe I got a lot of times going to hip hop events. So, you know, and that was just because I was probably in more mainstream hip hop events. I hadn't found the dance events yet or uh, other avenues. But basically, I saw what was going on around me. I was like, you know, there could be there could be some different types of events going on. And that's what drove me. Uh, and also I noticed there weren't a lot of women in the ciphers. I kept going to rap events. It was all male performers. And in the ciphers, no one, you know, there was no women. I was like, why are there not any female MCs? Like I've been in ciphers with females before and it makes the vibe different and it helps and we want that balance so that prompted me to try and get my female friends involved in rapping and I, I had you know, I was hanging with some friends at that time we I would freestyle with them and I teach them what I knew and I'd never taught freestyling you know I learned it by listening and trying it myself but as someone who likes to kind of analyze things I analyzed how I freestyled and I started breaking it down into games and teaching people like the concepts of how to connect words together or stacking rhymes in your head or using your environment. It started as a once a week free workshop for anybody, predominantly geared towards females. I didn't want to say females only because I was like a, a man. But then, it, but then I paired, I partnered with a female MC and we both were like, oh, females only. And if guys want to come, then that's cool too, but let's just keep it to girls. And uh, that went on for some time until it kind of evolved into, hey, instead of once a week, that's a little too much for me right now because once a week is quite a lot of energy to do something for free. I was like, let's make it once a month. And rather than have it be just a rap workshop, let's make it a hip hop jam. Let's involve these live musicians that I know. Let's involve this DJ. Let's get all these dancing b-boys, b-girls, hip hop people that I know that might like want to be around some live rappers and let's get all the rappers. The whole idea was to unify the elements in a free all ages space that was focused on the art of hip hop rather than buying alcohol and you know, that kind of stuff. Not that yeah. I like drinking too, but it seems to be the focus a lot of times when you go to when you go downtown. Something more so you opted for something more open and yeah. inviting to exactly to anybody basically. More inviting to everybody. And yeah. we did it for a year and it was at this, you know, we're, we're actually for the people on the radio we're doing this uh, interview in the spot itself, the free spot by <laughs> spot, 29th Avenue station. And um, yeah, and now it's about it's changing again for the new year. So we have less of these kind of jams and more more events that are adults. We're gonna actually have some more nineteen plus events where alcohol is involved. And uh, where the, the establishments can get some money, and as well, we can have like because the all ages vibe is different, you know. And it's I love the all ages events too, but um, there's a time and place for everything, and we want to get the whole community involved uh, with musicians, and sometimes people want to go to a more adult environment. As you said, we're in the spot right now, yeah. which has become kind of like your your jam space for your personal use, and. Uh, I noticed a bunch of harmonicas. Yep. A harmonica book, in fact. Uh, what's your, yeah, what's your steps from here? What kinds of things are you trying to incorporate into your personal development as a musician? Well, I'll, one thing I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quickly answer, I forgot to answer the last part of the question. No problem. The performance aspect of Freestyle Rap Alliance. Yeah. So part of my, my development is, is also being a part of the, the group that emerged from that monthly jam was this improvisational group of people. Uh, rappers, dancers, singers, and musicians, and we have a collective of about 19, 20, or 20 people, and we have a live band called the Freestyle Rap Alliance, and it's like, we're going to be performing in the new year, and we're working on an album, so it's a hip-hop cool. collective, and we're hoping to really just make a beautiful hip-hop album that is, uh, got a lot, has a lot of different voices in it, and represents like the spectrum that you want, that, that, that makes hip-hop so beautiful, you know, because it involves so many different types of people, so... We're going to do that with the Freestyle Rap Alliance. But um, that being said, um, yeah, the harmonicas and, and this jam space. Um, originally, this wasn't my jam space. It was just uh, once a month I use it. And then I got to know the people. And they and they have this collective that works out of this space. And they've kind of included me unofficially in their collective. And they let me use the space sometimes. So it's been good because my neighbors don't like me very much right now. Because I play, I play music in my room. Yeah. And I'm a learning musician. So I'm you know hitting chords wrong. And I'm singing and hitting bad notes and making big noises with my beatboxing. So I now have this space to come to and it's been beautiful. I, I love music. I never understood really what music was until I think recently. Like 
And I mean the power of music. I don't mean like theory of music. Basically, through singing, through singing and learning and like getting a rhythm going and and learning something, mostly the singing and the, with the instrument and being and being on that rhythm and and playing the songs of other people. Like I used to look down on covers. Like, why do I why do I want to learn a cover? I should just write my own song. Why would I want to look? Ooh, that's not original. Make something new. Like so obsessed with kind of being like always so creative when there's covers are beautiful you get to learn the songs with people it's like reading a book learning a cover is like reading a novel because when you read a novel you understand the author's experiences and when i'm reading like james joyce for example or with elizabeth what's her name elizabeth something eat pray love that's the book i'm reading right now mm. get her last name um but the woman who wrote eat pray love i'm relating to this woman as i'm reading the book just like i'm relating relating to james joyce and his experiences as a, as a young boy and so you relate to these these authors and they may be alive or dead right and you get to feel their life, even though they're not here. So it's a beautiful thing when they leave their work behind. Just like with these songs, you can listen to a song and get one experience of it. But when you start learning the song and singing the song, you're like living that person's experience. Like learning a Cat Stevens song right now called the "Morning Has Broken." Yeah, that's a classic. It's a classic. Like and Cat Stevens, you get like he's amazing. And the kind of vibe you see that guy give off when he's on stage. With the way he's singing, the way he's so into it, the way he's singing so much from his heart, I see that in these musicians in Vancouver, like the people who've influenced me. I, I didn't get it before. Everyone's always talking about the love, like what is love, you know? Like, uh, and then you see these, like, you're like, oh, what a hippie, or, or, or these people who are always giving you hugs, and going, I love you, man. You're like, do you though? Like, I don't understand. You don't know me, <laughs> you know? But it's usually musicians who are like that. People involved in really music, because music opens up your heart in such a crazy way. And I feel that love. I feel love when I play music. Like, and so when I'm playing these songs and I get that feeling in my body and in my soul pretty much about what music is, I, I, I actually have more light in me to give. Like playing music by myself for a few hours and overcoming some hurdles and getting to a point where I've broken into new ground and the reward and the feeling I get, I can then like, it makes me happier. Like it literally makes me happier. And I just want to keep playing music. I've never been hungrier right now. I'm such a student of music right at the moment. Like, like I'm just starting my musical journey almost in some ways. Like, I feel like I just got warmed up and now it's like, okay, let's do this because there's so much to learn. So this year for Rupert Common, it's going to be a lot more getting used to saying my name, Rupert Common. I used to be uncomfortable saying that. It's like, what's, you know, hey, like on a microphone saying your full name out loud, promoting yourself, being proud that you're a single artist and trying to, you are trying to sell yourself in some ways. It always sounds bad, I'm trying to sell myself, but you need to put yourself out there. And I see it in an artist in Vancouver, they do a really good job. Like I could list them up right now, but some of the people in the community who just like have their album out and they, they put their shows on and they play their, then they do their thing and it's great. So I'm inspired by them. And um, I'm just gonna be playing a lot more shows by myself. Playing shows that I'm not trying to make them the most epic show in the world. That was kind of my whole MO recently. It was like, every show I do must be epic. Invite everyone you know, everyone must come. It must be unifying hip hop every time. Like, I guess I kind of exhausted myself trying to do that every time. Every so often, like a huge meeting of amazing hip hop people where all the, all the elements are in unity. It doesn't happen all the time, and it's kind of un, un what's the word unrealistic unrealistic to have, expect that to happen. Whereas now I'm just going to be more like, wow, I love playing music and I want to improve. So I can go to an open mic and there's yeah. four people there and it's like dead, <laughs> and I just get, I get oh I get ten minutes, sweet. I practice in the alley and I play my ten minutes on stage. I expand so much every time. So that's what I'm looking at this year. It's more of an inward thing this year, where I'm going to work on the inside and just enjoy music. That's a perfect place to end off. Yeah. Thank you, Rupert. No problem. Cheers, Rupert. man. Thanks, man. St. James Music Academy offers a high-quality music instruction um, for children in the downtown east side for no cost to the families. And here to talk about a fundraising event tomorrow, we are here with uh, David Vertzi in uh, conversation. He's one of the founders of a annual fundraising event. David, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Uh, thanks for joining us. How are you doing? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, well, so tell us a little bit about uh, Sing It Forward tomorrow. 
Singing Forward uh, is uh, tomorrow is just a big big concert and it's a really amazing time with lots of incredible musicians uh, you know raising money for a great cause Excellent and that cause as we just mentioned is the St. James Music Academy um, what made you interested in getting involved with them? Um, you know I was uh, looking at doing some kind of charity work and, and uh, a friend was volunteering and told me to come check it out and really it's just a magical place it's it's absolutely amazing the work they do here they work with 200 kids every week and then 250 or even more almost 300 kids in outreach programs to schools that don't have music programs on the and mostly on the downtown east side uh, with kids that otherwise just couldn't you know afford the lessons and the after school care and the meals and all that stuff that come with it so um, really amazing organization that believes in social change through the power of music. Definitely. And uh, tell us about the, the event tomorrow. Sing Forward is at the Vogue Theatre. And what are you doing to raise money? Um, so, yeah, the, the concert at the Vogue Theatre, it's basically sold out now. Um, and it has eight bands, including Chaos, July Talk, and, yeah, Hey Ocean, and uh, Harpoonist and the Axe Murderer, and Bear Mountain, and a bunch more. And everyone does three songs uh, acoustic or maybe, you know, a little bit different than they would normally do it. And, um, yeah, they, it's, and they perform with the kids, the kids come and perform with the choir. It's kind of like this whole crazy mess of awesomeness. (laughs) Well, definitely we'll be keeping an eye on out, eye on it. And if anyone is interested in getting involved, um, where can they go online to, to find out more? You know, you can check out, uh, www.singitforward.com. Before it is FWD, so S I N G I T F W D dot com. That has all the info about our uh, fundraiser. And then to learn more about St. James, you should just check out www.sjma.ca. Great. Well, David, thank you very much for joining us. And thanks for all the work that you've been uh, doing in the downtown east side and with, with this concert. Thank you very much, man. On Tuesday, January the 6th, I sat down with Duncan Fraser director of Samuel Beckett's play All That Fall in its Canadian premiere, co-presented by The Colch and Blackbird Theatre Company. Well, tell me about All That Fall. What do you want me to say about it? Well, it's the first, it's the premiere, Canadian premiere, and it... Professional. Professional Canadian premiere. Yeah. And it was not allowed to be performed. What's so controversial about it? Um... That's the only controversy about it. Uh, intrinsically, it's not. Uh, it's not uh, controversial. It's not. There's no s- sex in it or anything. It's just that uh, uh, Beckett uh, wrote it as a radio play in uh, nineteen sixty-six, and uh, it was first broadcast in nineteen sixty-seven, and uh, f- purely for radio, uh, BBC broadcasted. And ever after that, people have uh, have wanted to put it on stage uh, as a as a radio play or not. And uh, Beckett, during his lifetime, categorically refused uh, for that to happen. He said it was designed, and I quote, as voices coming out the dark, and that's the only way that he would tolerate it uh, being produced. Uh, several people tried to dissuade him, uh, tried to get him to allow them to do what we are doing and stage it as a radio play on the stage so that people could come and watch it. Amongst them, Laurence Olivier, uh, who went to Paris with Vivian Lee and tried to persuade him to do this. Uh, nothing to it. Another was Ingmar Bergman, the famous uh, uh, film director. He, he turned him down too. And uh, it, it fell uh, later, um, quite recently, I think about three or four years ago, uh, to Trevor Nunn, who was the uh, artistic director of the National Theatre in Britain, uh, to try and persuade Beckett's estate to allow them to do this. And finally, uh, they said yes, with many strictures uh, that it had to be performed as a radio play, no sets or um, uh, music introduced or uh, no mucking around with it, no extra characters. Uh, Strictly as written. Now, as you're directing it, how 
Um, how strongly do you feel about Beckett's words that it's voices coming out of the dark? Very. Very strange. Yeah, I, I in fact, uh, uh, originally my concept of this was that we would bring people in and put them in the dark for an hour and have them listen to it. Uh, my, uh, an interesting uh, observation by my artistic director, John Wright, I said that uh, in this day and age you can't bring people into uh, a theatre and put them in the dark for an hour and expect them to sit there and listen. And I think he's probably right because we have largely lost the ability to concentrate on uh, a purely, purely oral stimulus for an hour without drifting uh, or without getting up and walking out and going for another drink. <laughs> uh, so uh, some kind of a compromise had to be made whereby we didn't do it in the dark, but we didn't bring people into the theatre and give them the impression that they were here to watch mm -hmm. uh, and retain the, uh, the uh, implication, at least, that they were here to listen. So the play is in semi-darkness, and uh, each character who... Uh, is speaking at any one time is lit at their microphone uh, and as other characters appear they walk into a light at their microphone and so on uh, and the play begins in absolute blackness for about a minute and it ends in absolute blackness for about a minute at the end of the play just to try and nudge the audience along to the idea that they're here to listen and not to look at anything how much stage direction and how much movement is is allowed or, or given to the actors? They've got to stay on mic, of course. Uh, some of the sound effects are off mic. Mm -hmm. uh, animals, um, uh, steps, uh, walking sounds, so on, uh, bird song. Uh, those are all done off mic uh, be at the back of the stage uh, by the actors who aren't actually. Mm -hmm. you know performing on mic at the time so uh, that happens as far as that goes that's a certain amount of movement but it's not intrinsic to the play mm -hmm. the m main characters in the play ride bicycles drive cars and so on but they do all that at the mic I told the actors to be free to go through the motions of what they do because it helps the sound come out of them correctly but other than that uh, no our blocking is the sound yes uh, in the same manner that uh, we make sure, usually on stage, that people move around and don't bang into the furniture or into each other. In uh, this play, we make sure that the sounds they make uh, dovetail into the sounds that uh, are either artificial or being made by someone else, so that rarely do the sounds overlap. Uh, so the technique is to establish a sound, make sure the audience knows what it is, give it to them, and then uh, only and only then can we carry on with the next sound. It's rather like making sure uh, that two actors don't bang into one another Definitely. as they're crossing the stage to answer the telephone or the door or whatever it is. It sounds like the blocking is sort of um, in a well as as it's it oral blocking. That's right. Yeah, yeah. and um, radio is in some ways. A more visual medium than, you know, than theater or or film. You could argue. I think that depends on the imagination of the listener. If the listener has little imagination, then no. If they have a lot of imagination, then yes. You know, but what they go away with is something that they've created, mm -hmm. not something that's been spoon-fed to them by someone else. Why? Why is that important? I think it's something that we're losing. I think we're losing the ability to, to create our own images because when you try to think of, uh, let's say for the sake of illustration, uh, Uriah Heep or Captain Flint or Long John Silver, let's say, then if you're reading the book, you create in your mind an image of what this person looks like. Then you turn the page and now you've got a picture and that's someone else's image of what Long John Silver looks like. And in this day and age, it matters little what you come up with. You're a way of creating, well, not even creating, but uh, finding out 
what that person looks like is not to search your own mind and your own experience and your own prejudices and your own family background and stuff for an image of what that person looks like and using your imagination. What you do is you go to a screen yeah. and you look it up on YouTube and uh, or on your iPod or wherever or Wikipedia and you're given someone else's idea of what Long John Silver or Uriah Heep looks like. And you're spoon-fed that idea, but it's not yours. It's someone else's. And so if you listen to the radio, you're never going to find out what these people look, look like. like unless you draw it from yourself. And I think that ability is being lost of necessity. If all it means is you can go the easy route and press a button and find someone else's idea. Yes. How about your experience with with the medium with radio oh we used to do lots of radio back in the old days I mean, 25 years ago you can make a living by doing radio in this city you know down at cbc with john giuliani and don colosio people they were churning this stuff out and uh, it was great because it was all canadian content uh well almost all 95 percent of it was canadian content and employed writers mm -hmm. you know we were writing about canadian stories and it was linking one side of this country to the other, uh, not merely through newscasts, but uh, in, a, in a cultural mm -hmm. way, you know. Uh, so, yeah, I, I did dozens and dozens of these things back in the old days. There used to be an outfit called PEMC, 2PEMC, Provincial Educational Media Centre, and their mandate in French and English was to, in both radio and television, to portray uh, West Coast stories here from British Columbia, you know, Judge Begbie and the Dunsmuirs and people. Uh, so we used to do that. It was quite well paid. And uh, yeah, well, there's several actors, older actors have come up to me and said, it's just like the old days, you know. Yeah, we used to be down there frequently. And do you bring a lot of that into the into this production? Yeah, that's why John asked me to direct it in the first place because I had such a large experience of this stuff. And, knew how to pull it off, I hope. <laughs> and I employed Chris Cutrus, who was the sound engineer down there at, uh, at CBC for decades and decades. And uh, I mean, he's just the real thing. He just mm. knows how to do this. And, uh, and there's nobody around anymore that does because uh, in its wisdom, the CBC decided to cut all radio drama in this country several years ago, and now it's dead. Mm -hmm. There is none, period. It's over. It's too bad. Yeah. I know that on the uh, some of the community and, and campus radio stations, there's a, a small revival happening. And I know that there's a, a project at CJSF right now that's actually a serial sort of melodrama with a few that's in the works. So cool. Hopefully that'll be rolling out soon. Good. Yeah, we, we used to do uh, serials. One I remember in particular was The Dunsmuirs by Rod Langley at... Uh, I think we did several hours of that. True story, of course, about that family. Wonderful stuff. And, and others that would run four or five episodes. Yeah. Now, all that fall, we're dealing with Samuel Beckett. And my first instinct... experience to the next level? Register for UBC's 2015 Student Leadership Conference for a day of inspiring speakers and interactive workshops that will help you thrive on campus as a student leader. Take your next step and register at slc.ubc.ca. The conference begins this January 10th. Three women dressed in lingerie were hanging from the ceiling on meat hooks. In an adjacent room, a man was in bed with two deceased females also wearing lingerie. He positioned their arms in a sexy embrace. Down the hall, a man holding a chainsaw stood over the motionless body of a sixth woman lying on a table covered in plastic. These are scenes from a popular music video by a Grammy award-winning artist. If we want violence against women to stop, shouldn't we stop treating it like entertainment? Join the conversation at hashtag not okay. Featuring a wide range of music from India, including popular music from the 1930s to the present. Rhythms. India. 
alternating Sundays 8 to 9 p.m. at CITR 101.9 FM. a pleasant experience for a while and then it became an unpleasant one. Uh, I was uh, artistic associate director at a, a bit called Feng Players which is now defunct uh, and that was a pleasant experience and I think much of much of whether you enjoy directing or not depends on the company you're working for and it depends on the people you choose to work with. This has been thoroughly pleasant from start to finish. Uh, it's it's been easier than uh, most directing jobs because I don't have to deal with costumes and uh, I don't have to deal with lighting uh, very much, uh, although it is quite dramatic. And uh, I don't have to deal with physical blocking uh, and the actors don't have to learn their lines, so I don't have to deal with actors forgetting their lines. So, so it's, uh, in that respect, it's quite an easy gig. I don't particularly like... Um, bossing people about. I like trying to get the best out of people. We're trying to avoid that. There's is of necessity there's some of that involved. I've been captain of various soccer teams in my life and I didn't particularly like that either. Were you good at it? Yeah, very good. Yeah. Oh, you mean at a captaincy? No, I had bossing people around. No, I was never very good at it. And I was a teacher for a long time. I was a good teacher too, but I, uh, that, that part of it I didn't Enjoy. I didn't. I like being with the kids rather than sort of being hovering over the kids. Mm -hmm. um, so I tend to look at it as a, as a more of a cooperative effort. You know, uh, I I tend to say, look, here's a bucket. You know, uh, just toss your ideas into the bucket. But because of the constraints of time, uh, all I'm often going to to be able to say to you is, yes, I'll think about it. Mm -hmm. uh, we can't discuss everything but toss your ideas in and just allow me to say yes no or i'll think about it well because 10 heads are better than one yeah you know and in this case everyone's tossing their ideas into the bucket yeah some more than others you know <laughs> oh hardy heart <laughs> yeah. no, i was a bit slow on that one it's very good <laughs> well um thanks very much for granting me this interview oh, good. very welcome. much looking forward to the scene the production Oh, when are you coming? I'm coming Sunday. Oh, all right, Sunday. Yeah, well, there's a talk back. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Now I have to field the hard questions. It's I've only we've only had one so far, and mm. I've talked to lots of people at the lobby, of course, informally. And um, no one asks about the play. What do they ask about? They ask about the techniques of serving the play. Mm. Yeah, about radio drama and about how you go about it and, and that kind of thing. They, they, I haven't had a single question so far about the play itself. What does this mean? Or why did she do that? Or Not a single question. If anyone listening right now happens to be coming to the Sunday performance, what sort of questions would you like to field? Uh, I would like to ask them questions. Okay. <laughs> I would like very much to know what they think happened on the train and that's the question I ask of everybody because I get such a variety of answers it's astonishing it's really amusing mm. yeah so no I don't want people to particularly ask me stuff that's not what it's all about yeah it's I want them to ask what they're curious about definitely yeah. well thank you very much yeah you're welcome yeah, it was a pleasure to meet you yes yeah, mutual that was Duncan Fraser in conversation about All That Fall, the Samuel Beckett radio play he is currently directing at the Colch Theatre in East Vancouver. The play is presented by the Colch and by Blackbird Theatre Company. We reached him in his home in East Vancouver.
and welcome back to the Arts Report uh, here with Jake, Ashley, and myself, Rohit. We're the power trio of the Arts Report now. Um, and we're here to tell you about some cool events happening in Vancouver, uh, one of which is happening tomorrow. So uh, if you've ever heard of Raw, they're an indie arts organization for artists by artists. Every month, Raw hand selects and showcases artists in film, fashion, music, art, performing art, hairstyling, makeup artistry, and photography. Raw creates a one-night showcase event that features local creativity in all of its flavors. And uh, you can check out this event that's happening tomorrow uh, at Club 560, which is uh, quite literally on 560 Seymour Street. Um, and it'll feature over 40 local Vancouver artists. Uh, some of the things that you can expect at the show, uh, you'll have live music, uh, sounds by Tessa uh, Muzorakis, I'm sorry if I butchered that name, Labidos, and Jody Pedersen. Uh, as well, there will be a fashion show, a stand-up comedian, uh, Mary uh, Schatzschneider, and uh, we have jewelry art design at this event, and a short film as well will be presented called Faith and Conviction, directed by Javier Badillo. So lots of cool things. Uh, we're actually going to be giving away tickets uh, to this event. Uh, so just after the show, uh, check on your Arts Report Facebook page. You'll see that we have uh, posted the event. And uh, just leave a comment or like it, uh, and you will have a chance to win uh, tickets for yourself and a friend to Raw uh, happening tomorrow night at Club 560. And... Up next, uh, what do we got, Ashley? Well, also on Thursday, there is something um, called Taking Advantage, 1972 to 1982. It is a new exhibition created by Allison Collins and Michael Turner. It's co-produced by Presentation House and Grunt Gallery. This exhibition takes a look at the rising arts in Vancouver's east side during the decline of the hippie era and the rise of Vancouver's glam, punk, and gay scenes. The opening reception is at the Satellite uh, Gallery in downtown. Um, it's on January 8th, this Thursday, um, from 6 to 9 p.m., and videos from the Main Street exhibit uh, will be on display along Main Street until March, and on January 21st at 2 p.m., there'll be a walking tour with Paul Wong and Anastasia McDonald. For more information and video footage, it can be found at takingadvantage.ca. Uh, Friday, we have an opening of a new play, um, Underneath the Lintel, at Pacific Theatre. Nathan Schmidt stars in this one-man play about a Dutch librarian on a quest to unravel the mystery behind a book returned 113 years late. Uh, this play is a collaboration between Rosebud Theatre and Pacific Theatre and runs until the end of the month. And we also have a pair of tickets to give away for this play as well, for the opening show on Friday. So to win a pair of tickets, um, head over to our Facebook page after the show. We will uh, we'll produce, we'll, we'll post a link to this. And if you comment or like that link, you will have a chance to win a pair of tickets to Underneath the Lintel this Friday at Pacific Theatre. Saturday, we, uh, there's a, another play opening. Uh, Some Birds Walk for the Hell of It is... Um, Produced by, well, written and produced by poet C.R. Avery. Uh, he, pre he presents this volume of poetry through song, spoken word, and burlesque. This production highlights the challenges of maintaining a thriving underground art scene amidst urban gentrification and development. Some Birds Walk for the Hell of It runs at Joe's Cafe on Commercial Drive each Saturday in January and costs $18 at the door. Um, this production also shares its name with a new book of poems available on Anvil Press. And this is known as one of the greatest rock movies ever made. The Rio Theater presents the digitally remastered 30th anniversary edition of Jonathan Demme's groundbreaking concert documentary, Stop Making Sense, featuring new wave pioneers, Talking Heads. Shot over the course of three nights at Hollywood's Pantages Theater in December 1983, the movie is notable for being the first made entirely using digital audio techniques. It's $10 in advance or $12 at the door. And Stop Making Sense screens this Saturday at 10 p.m. And on Sunday, we also have a special event. It's, uh, please forgive me for maybe, possibly, probably saying this incorrectly. It's Vin und Zong with Veda 
Hill. That's right. That sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, guys. <laughs> that's Everyone as good was just as it nodding. Gets. That's like, that yeah. sounds pretty good. Okay. I think Wine und Song, oh, kind Wein of a und German, yeah. German-esque. I feel yeah. it. I think they'll have music and, and wine. With oh, me. that's yeah. a good game. Yeah. It's an intermittent <laughs> <job>, series hosted <laughs> by Veta Hill with special guests Bill Richardson and The Fitz. Um, it's at the Kolsch Founders Lounge, January 11th, 2015 at 8 p.m. And finally, on Tuesday, the Songwriters Association of Canada presents Bluebird North, where writers sing and tell, uh, hosted by producer Shari Ulrich at the Roundhouse Theatre in, um, in Yaletown. This event features Mariah Dunn, Adrian Glynn, Deborah Holland, and Kane McKenzie. Enjoy stories and song at the Roundhouse Theatre in Yaletown for $15 at the door on Tuesday, January 13th at 7.30. PM. Busy, busy uh, January coming up. Uh, glad to see that uh, things have kicked back right into gear in the new year. Any of these events you guys are particularly interested in? Uh, <clears throat> pardon me. Well, the Under the Lintel at uh, Pacific Theater. I've actually got a an interview for next week with the actor Nathan Schmidt. So that Sounds will. Good. So if you go check it out, you'll you'll see what we'll be covering, part of what we'll be covering next week. Awesome. Well, I think uh, there we have it. So thank you guys for coming uh, down. Uh, you're going to see this power trio making more regular appearances on the Arts Report. Uh, that is Jake, Ashley, and myself, Rohit. Um, as always, thank you for listening to CITR 101.9, the Arts Report. Until next time. Uh, Toodaloo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make that a thing now. That's <laughs> Toodaloo, everybody. Toodaloo, guys. Yes. Toodaloo. Stay tuned for Arts On Air coming up next. Yo, what's going on? My name is John Akpata. I'm a spoken word artist from Ottawa, Ontario. You are listening to CITR 101.9, the best community radio on the West Coast. Bam! Peanut butter and jam! What the f- What are you doing, Phil?